0: to The Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past that were Baptist preachers that have inspired a man like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Our classic Preacher of the Past, featured this week on The Baptist Pulpit, is evangelist B.R. Lakin. On June 5th, 1901, a baby was born to Mr. and Mrs. Richard Lakin in a farmhouse on Big Hurricane Creek in the hill country of Wayne County, West Virginia. Mrs. Lakin had prayed for a preacher man, had dedicated this baby to the Lord even before B.R. Lakin was born. B.R. Lakin was converted in a revival meeting At the age of 18 and after his conversion God called him into the ministry and he became a Baptist preacher what's interesting he grew up in the hill country of West Virginia so he got a mule for transportation and he preached in small country churches in the mountains and hills of West Virginia and Kentucky and yes the transportation changed over the years and the congregations and in 1939 So he was 38 years old at the time. He became an associate pastor in a church in Indianapolis, Indiana. And then upon the death of the founder of that church, he became the senior pastor of the church in Indianapolis. He preached um, many, many years there. And then at the age of 51, he became an evangelist. B.R. Lakin became an evangelist again. So. That was in 1952, and in 1952, he entered full-time evangelism again, and his ministry carried him around the world, around the nation, and uh, he was a strong, strong preacher. A memory that I have is Bier Lakin coming to Cleveland Baptist Church. Roy Thompson was very close with B.R. Lakin, and so he would have him in, and so I have foggy memories of him coming to preach Remember him preaching on either heaven or hell. I can't remember exactly, but it was either heaven or hell. And he had a couple of sermons, and they were um, they were amazing sermons. He was an amazing man as far as the understanding of God's word. And so, here's a message featured by a classic preacher of the past, B. R. Lakin.
1: Open your Bibles tonight to the third chapter of the book of Ephesians. And verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made with hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who once were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. Now, these words that I read to you tonight is very descriptive. They are descriptive of the Ephesians before they were saved. He describes them here as being without hope, without God and without hope in the world. This is a very dark picture that he presents here in, this ver- in these verses, but I want tonight to call your attention just two little words that come to us out of the dark background of this picture, and those two words are these, no hope. Someone has suggested that there are no words in the English language that have a more dreadful meaning than those two words. The doctor says to the man as he stands on with his finger upon the sick man's pulse while the family anxiously awaits the verdict he says prepare for the worst for there is no hope now there is they, those are dark words in connection that I just used them but they're darker still in the connection that we find them in this text tonight for better had a man be without anything else in this world than to be without hope for a future life than to be without hope for a future life. Man may be in great present prosperity, but if he has no hope for the future, that amounts to but little. He may be in great present distress, but if he has a sure hope for the future, that amounts to but little. And he's everything will be okay. I want to bring you a message tonight on why I know there is a God. Because man's only rational hope for a future life rests upon the existence of an intelligent, beneficent God ruling in nature and in the affairs of men. Take that God out of the universe tonight, and man stands absolutely hopeless, and a very dark hell may be his portion at any moment. His only rational hope, his only hope for a, a future life rests upon the existence of a God ruling in nature. So I'm going to speak tonight on why I know there is a God. Someone said, Dr. Lakin, do you believe there are any tonight that do not believe in the existence of God? Well, not many. But I've met a few little infra hells around over the country, but I never paid them much mind. Because most of them are so narrow between the eyes, a fleek is sit to the bridge of their nose and kick them in both eyes at the same time, and never inconvenience himself in the least. I met the president of the League of Atheism from New York City one day, and sitting in the room of the hotel, I said to him, do you believe in theistic evolution? He said, no, sir, I do not believe in a God at all. I said, how do you account for everything that is? He said, everything that is just happened to be. Like I would take the letters of the alphabet and cut them to pieces and throw them up in the air, and they would just happen to become the 23rd sound. Or I would take this watch with all of its intricate mechanism and say that back to this intelligent creation there was no creator. And back to this, divi- back to this, uh, back to this creation, no creator, and say there was no divine. No designer. Back of the Jesuit design, there was no designer. But it came into being of its own self. And then he said, "I do not believe that I exist, either in mind or soul." I said, "I will admit the mind part of it. I don't know about your soul. I will admit myself. I think you're an anonymity when it comes to brains. And so I'm going to give you some reasons why I know there is a God. Not why I think." But why know? You see, I'm not an educated man, because an educated man is not supposed to know anything. Jesus was supposed to say, perhaps, or it could have been. But he's not supposed to know. Someone asked me if I could read Greek, and I said, man, I can't hardly read English, let alone Greek. They tried to teach me about Greek. A fellow was telling me about Greek, and he, about baptism, he said, it's Baptizo and Ran-Tizo. I said, yeah, grave B, grave I, and grave O, but it would just sock when I was a kid. It didn't matter. They asked the girl girl once, they said to you, can you read writing? And she said, Lord, honey, I can't even read reading. And so sometimes we can't even read reading. But before I tell you about them, I'm going to give you three classes of people who stand absolutely tonight without any hope. Before I tell you who they are, it might be well for us to explain what we mean by the word hope. We use the word hope in a very careless way, but God always uses it with the greatest of care. Desire, no matter how strong that desire may be, is not hope. Mere expectation tonight is not hope. Mere expectation is not hope. Hope, according to the Bible, is the well-founded, well-grounded expectation for the future. So who Who are those, then, that have no well-grounded, well-founded expectation for the future? The man who denies the existence of God stands absolutely without any hope, without any hope. The man who denies the existence of God. So I'm going to give you the reasons tonight why I believe there is a God. Because I'm as sure that there is a God as I'm sure that I'm standing over this platform tonight. I asked the atheist, when, I said, when he said, I do not believe that I exist, either in mind or soul, I said to him, do you believe in theistic evolution? He said, no. Then I asked him this other question. Do you believe, speaking from the standpoint of an atheist, do you believe that a theistic evolutionist could be a Christian? He said, absolutely not. Why? Because theistic evolution says that man did not fall, that he climbed down out of the trees and started to walk. Therefore, if man, did not, if man did not sin, he did not need a Savior. He said, did the monkeys sin? So when you destroy the Garden of Eden, you have chopped down the need for the cross of Christ. So you can tell these little biological baboon boosting professors that praise our Father which art in a coconut tree, you tell them this, that I said, that I said that no man can be a Christian who denies the demonstrative account of creation. You say you believe that man was created as, as he said he did in the book of Genesis? I believe that. I believe that. Why do I believe it? I believe it, first of all, from the argument of creation. Everything that is tonight, from whence did it come? Look at all that you see about you tonight and ask yourself this question, from whence did that come? Life has never been generated from dead matter. From nothing, nothing could come. Suppose I take a bottle tonight, pour out all the air and the water and the germs, and I'd cork it up. There's nothing in it. i cork it up till nothing could get in it. How would anything ever be in it? That's what we call a complete vacuum. Nothing in it and nothing can get in it. You say, well, I don't believe in a complete vacuum. Well, if you'd followed me over the world for 50 years and looked into the faces of a lot of things I've had to preach to, you wouldn't believe in it in this time. Nothing in it, nothing can get in it. It's like the person said, I don't get anything to take home with me when I come to hear you preach. And I said, you didn't bring anything to get it in. That's what's the matter. I'm able to furnish the point, but I can't furnish the intelligence to see it with. Now let me show you. So I believe, oh, I believe that everything we have, someone said that everything has to have a beginning, that every effect has to have a cause, and that is not true. Now, suppose that way back yonder in the beginning, way back yonder in the dim, dateless past, there was nothing. There was no water. There was no leaves. There was no trees. There was no nothing. Just God. There was a time when God was alone in the world. There was a time when God was alone in the world. Why? Because by Him all things were created. And without Him there was nothing made that was made. Therefore, my friends, you must begin with God as the eternal self-existent always has been one. There is the beginning of it. Someone said the Bible says in the beginning God. The Bible didn't say in the beginning God. The Bible says in the beginning God created. God didn't have any beginning. God was the beginning of beginnings. By him all things were made. By him all things were created. Without him there was nothing made that was made. So you must begin with that. And that's the reason I believe in the existence of a God. Because I believe in it because of creation. Second, I believe in a God. I believe there is a God because of imparted wisdom. We don't call it imparted wisdom. We call it the instinct. We call it instinct. There is no such thing as instinct. Suppose that along in the fall of the year, before the wind roars down over the mountains, up around the lakes and the gulfs, all the geese and the ducks get together, and they form in companies, and old General General Gander takes the lead, and they fly a straight line down across Michigan, Ohio, Indiana and Kentucky and Tennessee and North Carolina and South Carolina and Georgia and Florida and drop into the Gulf and bathe their breasts in the warm water of the spring and then come back again? Who told the goose to go south in the winter and come north in the summer? Who told them to do that? You say, that's instinct. Where'd they get their instinct on goosey? That's the next thing. No, there's no such thing as instinct. Out in California, there's a little spider about the size of a shoe button. And it builds its nest inside an empty clamshell or oyster shell. But before it does that, it lifts that clamshell or oyster shell from 6 to 12 inches from the ground. And for that little spider to do that, lift that thing which was many, many times the weight of that little spider, for him to do that requires a, a feat that's equal to the building of the pyramids of Egypt. So how does he do it? He goes up to a limb and hooks on a thread. Comes down and hooks it on the corner of the shell. Goes up and hooks on another thread. Comes down and hooks it on the other side. That thread is moist. When it dries, it contracts. He keeps hooking them on. They keep drying and contracting until it lasts. He lifts the shell. Where'd he learn how to do that? You say that's inherited instinct. He learned that from his mommy and puppy spider. Where'd they learn it? You said they learned it from theirs. Where'd they learn it? They learned it from theirs. Listen, old smarty. The first spider that ever did that thing then had to sit down and figure it out for himself, didn't he? It's not inherited instinct. It's imparted wisdom. That's the reason I know there's a god. Let me ask you another thing. While we're talking about it, when the geese gets ready to go north, and they don't even stay up here in the winter time, let me show you that. When they get ready to go south, you know what they do? They lift up yonder and then they start and fly a straight line down across these states and land in the warm water. Let me ask you, where did they get their radar equipment? Where did they get their navigating ability? How did they happen to fly a straight line and never miss the feeding ground? And they've never been that way before. Now, how did they do it? How did they do it? I'll tell you why. Because of an imparted wisdom given to them by God. That's the reason tonight. That's the reason I know there is a God. That's the reason I know there is a God. Let me say another thing. I know there is a God tonight because of fulfilled prophecy. I hold in my hand tonight a Bible, a book. We call it a book. It's a library of 66 books. And it was written by more than 40 different authors over a period of more than 1,400 years. In this Bible tonight, in this book tonight, we have prophecy. Prophecy is the writing of history before it happens. Every religion of the world has its Bible. This is the only Bible of all the religions that has a word of prophecy in it. Why? Because the author of those human books had sense enough to know. The moment they stuck the word of prophecy in their book and it failed to be fulfilled, then they knew their book would be discredited. But this book, with daring boldness, tells you what will happen upon this earth to men, to nations, and to individuals a thousand, two thousand, four thousand years in the future who could write a book like that. Who could write a book like that? Only God could write a book like that. That's the reason tonight I can take the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ alone and prove to any sensible man that there is a God. The prophecies concerning Jesus. First of all, he said he shall be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Might have been several Bethlehems, but he said, now notice how particular it is. He said he shall be born in Bethlehem of Judea. O thou little city! And he was, amen? Amen. Second, he said he shall be born of a virgin. Not a young woman, like the New Bible says, not a young woman. She could have been a young woman and not been a virgin. She could have been a virgin and not been a young woman. But he said he shall be born of a virgin. Born of a human mother without a human father. A little 2 by squirt said that that would be a biological impossibility. Now wouldn't that be something, amen? It's like one said to me, explain to me the virgin birth. I said, I will when you explain to me yours. That's the next question. Do you explain to me yours? No, my friend. You say, do you say a man believes in the virgin birth? Yes, I believe in the virgin birth. And no man can be a Christian who denies it, amen? You can't be a Christian and deny it. But you say it's a biological impossibility. Well, I said the other night, God took a, uh, the devil took a woman without a man in it and brought the downfall of the race. God took a woman without a man in it and redeemed the race. For a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child of the Holy Ghost. One of my relatives came home from college one day and said the professor said that Jesus couldn't have been born of a human mother without a human father, that that was a biological impossibility. I said, Is that so? I said, well, ring a dingling, let me ask you something. I said, you tell that little possum headed, pin whiskered, rabbit faced monstrosity that I said that the first man that ever got in this world got here without either father or mother. Crack that, nose, Marty. <laughs> and if the first man got here without either father or mother, if God wanted to send his son, born of a human mother, without a human father, God could and did do it said, but the first man came by the way of evolution. Then I said, the first germ got here without father and mother. The first germ got here without father and mother. said, but the first germ came from another planet on a meteor. I said, is that so? I said, don't you know that a meteor is a blazing ball of fire? How would a germ ever live in that? I said, you better get in the house. Automobile run over you and kitty it. Let me tell you something tonight. Let me tell you something tonight you talk about, you've got to stultify your brain, amen? said, but it's unscientific to believe uh, in the Genesis account of creation. I believe that God created man as he said he did in the Garden of Eden, amen? I believe that Adam came forth fresh from the hand of God, a perfect man. I said the other night, a little fellow said to me, he said, how old was Adam? I said, old enough. But he's old enough to have more sense, I said, than you God. got. Why? Because he had sense enough to name all of the animals, can you do it? That's what Adam did. I don't know how long Adam remained in his blissful state of bachelorhood, I do not know that. But I believe that God created him. I believe he did it, as he said he did, out of the dust of the earth. Out of the dust of the earth. And he stood forth, and then I believe that he created Eve, as he said he did. He took a rib from the side of Adam and created Eve. Amen? Oh, let me tell you something. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. She said, but that's so unscientific. It's the scientific way to believe. It's scientific to believe in in the theory of evolution. And I'm glad of one thing. I'm glad they call it a theory. It's never gotten beyond the theory. It's still a theory. It's like a little two-by-squirt said to me not long ago, said, do you believe in evolution? I said, I didn't till I saw you. But anyway, because he looked like he hadn't been off the of limbs too long. <laughs> Let me show you something. She said, that's unscientific to believe. It's scientific to believe in evolution. To me, that's the most unscientific, foolish rock that I've ever heard of. Amen. That way back down to some time, some place, somewhere, somehow. Nobody knows when, how, where, or why. Nothing got in nothing. The nothing turned around into nothing, formed a something. The something became a germ. The germ got in the water. The water developed into to a tadpole. The tadpole swam to another bank one day and got stuck in the mud and dried there, wriggling around in the mud. He formed warts on his belly, and later they became legs. And after developed legs, he was climbing through the trees, and his foot slipped, and his He wrapped his tail around the limb, and the jar of it broke over his tail. He hit the ground, stood up on his hind feet, walked across. The brought him a suit of clothes, went to teaching in the university and said, Thank God I'm a man at last. <laughs> now, isn't that one of the most... <laughs> you don't have to be too smart to believe that, do you? Amen. Yeah, I believe, my friend, I believe there is a God because of the prophecy concerning Jesus Christ in this book. He said, You shall be born of a virgin he shall be born of a virgin. And he was. He said that they would gamble upon his garments. They did. And he said too, he said they would pluck out his beard. They did. And there's something else he said. He said that he'd make his grave with the wicked. He did. He died. He he died between two thieves. And with the rich in his burial, he did. He was buried in a rich man's tomb buried in a rich man's tomb, and he said on the third day he would arise again. He said, You kill me, but I will not stay dead. You put me in a grave, but on the third day I'll come out of it. I'll come out of it. And they crucified him. They took him down. They slipped him into a tomb, rolled a stone to the door of the tomb. And then the devil got up and straggled that tomb, and said, Ha ha, he's the vanquished and the victor. And then he swore that he would keep him in that tomb, and he'd never come out. And on the third morning, I stand beside that too. And presently, a halo plays around his head. And the skin begins to loosen on his forehead, and his eyes begins to open, and the breath of God swept through that slumbering clay. Up from the grave he arose, a mighty triumph all his foes, and lives forever with his saints to reign. Hallelujah! Christ arose, and he walked out on the other side and turned the key to his girdle and said, "I am he that was dead, and I'm alive, and I'm alive forevermore, and have the keys of death and of hell. And because I live, you too." shall live also. Someone said, I couldn't go to heaven without going in their church because Peter had the keys. I said, let him keep them. I've got the door. Thank God. I don't need his keys. Yeah. Oh, my friend, you said to you, the fact of the matter, he was declared to be the son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. You say he rose from the dead. How do you know? Because I talked to him this morning. That's the reason I know. That's the reason I know. I know there is a God because of fulfilled prophecy. If I had time I could stand here and take the prophecies concerning Israel and show you how God has dealt with Israel and how he has moved with Israel, then you would have to believe that there is a God. Another thing. I believe that there is a God because that God answers prayer. I wonder if you ever went to an automat at a restaurant that looks like a post office. You go in and you don't see any cook, you don't see any waiter, you don't see any waitresses. You drop in a quarter, out comes some pie and coffee, you drop in fifteen cents, out comes something else. I went to New York one day and being a country boy, I tried her out. I went in, dropped in the money, out it came. But I wasn't big enough fool to believe there wasn't somebody back there passing that stuff out. Do <clears throat> you know the reason why I know there's a God? I'm going to tell you why. For 53 years, I've walked up to the open window of heaven, and I've had things passed out to me just as real as mashed potatoes and gravy. And that's the reason I know there is a God. I know there is a God because God answers prayer. Let me give you another one tonight. You say, you know that there is a God because He answers prayer. Yes. He said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And only a fool would say that. Why? And he he said it in his heart, not his head, because his head told him better. I remember I was on an airplane. I got on an airplane in Huntington one day, three hours late. I had to go to Detroit. We came to Cincinnati, missed all the connections. There was no plane out of that night for Detroit. I had to be in Detroit, a man was on the same plane, and he said, listen, I have to be in Detroit, but I left my car at the airport in Detroit. He said, let's cash our tickets, let's cash our tickets and buy and rent a car and drive to Detroit. I said, okay, if you'll drive, we'll do that. So we started. And on the way up, I said, I'm a Baptist preacher. He said, well, I'm an unbeliever. I said, you are. He said, yes. He said, I don't believe there is any God. I said, is that so? I had my testament with me, and I said, I saw your name in the Bible. He said, you didn't see my name in the Bible. I said, yes, I did." He said, where? I said, right here. For the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I said, I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Fool. I never thought I'd see you. Like the man down in Georgia, a little boy shining his shoes, and he kept saying, there is no God. I can prove it. There is no God. Finally the little boy looked up and said, Mr. the Bible say that the fool has said in his heart there is no God, but you've done gone bled it right out of your big mouth, haven't you? Here <laughs> yeah, I know there is a God. And the man who denies the existence of God tonight stands absolutely without a hope. And any and a very dark hell may be his portion at any moment. May be his portion at any moment. The second man who stands without any hope, you know who it is? It's the man who denies the Bible as the Word of God. Many a man says, I'm, I have hope because I'm not an atheist. Well, you may be a theist. You may believe in God, but if you deny the Bible as the Word of God, you still stand without any hope. Why? Because man, by his own reasoning and his own philosophy, has never been able to get an adequate conception of God that will give him a foundation upon which he can stand and give a reason for the hope that's in him concerning Christ. And the only revelation that you'll ever have of God that gives, you, that gives you a reasonable foundation of which you can stand for a future hope is the revelation that God gives of himself in this book. It's in this book that God is revealed. That's in this book. And when a man says, I don't believe the Bible is the word of God, then I have nothing else to convince him with. Amen? Because that's all that I have to convince him with. A little guy came up to me not long ago, had on a pair of tight britches, so tight look like he'd have to grease his feet to get them on. <laughs> he had an Australian sheepdog haircut, feeling his upper lip for the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. With a cigarette parked under his nose and, and his chest shoved out like a porter of pigeon. And he said to me, do you believe the Bible is the word of God? I said, yes. Don't you? He said, no. I said, why? He said, because it has so many contradictions in it. He'd heard somebody say that, you know. I said, show me one. Oh, he said, there's plenty. I said, I don't want plenty, just one. And he stood there and sputtered like an arc light. I said, why don't you quit making a fool of yourself? I said, if they had a rope hanging to a limb over yonder in a coffin to sit under it, and if you didn't quote ten verses of the Bible correctly, they'd have to break your neck. I said they'd have to break it because you wouldn't know it. Now, why do you want to talk about something you don't know anything about? But he said, you know, I think. I said, no, you don't think. You're not capable of thinking. That's something that somebody told you, or you read it. You're a polytheist. If God intended for you to be a bird, did He put feathers on you? I said, why don't you use your own head? The woodpecker does. Let me show you something. All he was using his for was a knot in his spinal cord to keep him unraveling. That's all. The fact of the matter is, he didn't have a head. Just a neck run up the stub hired over. (laughs) He didn't have a face. He had a neck with a nose on it. That is all. Let me show you something. But he said, the Bible is so unscientific. That's a big word, you know. He'd heard that. I want some of you kids tonight listening to me. I want you to listen to me for a moment about, if you want to know something about science, read this book. They can cram that stuff down the neck of some kids, amen? But let them try the old man once. I'll tend to them. Let me show you something. He said, the Bible's so unscientific. The Bible's a thousand years ahead of science. A thousand years ahead of science. How long have we known the earth was round? Sometimes I think it's crooked. But anyway, how long have we known the earth was round? Before we ever discovered it, they knew it. Just after the first astronauts went up, I heard one of the news commentators saying that evening, well, one thing they proved today, they proved that the earth was round. Because they saw the circle of the earth. But well, Isaiah knew that before the astros ever went up, amen. Because he said, For he, he said that he that sitteth above the circle of the earth. He you know it in the Bible, amen. Let me tell you another thing. Let me ask you this where does all the water goes that goes out into the river? You say, Well, it all goes on down and out into the lake or out into the ocean. Why doesn't the ocean get full and overflow? Never gets any fuller or emptier. Why? Because the Bible says all of the rivers run into the sea, and yet the sea is not full for the return from whence they came. This Bible, my friend, will stand the test. It'll stand the test. I mean, how long have we known there were germs before Mr. Pastor ever wised up to it? They knew it in the Bible, amen. They knew there were germs. Did you ever go to a hospital? I suppose you had your operation. If not, you're a back number, eh, amen? Because as far as conversation is concerned, you're nil. <laughs> you know, when the old women used to get together up in the mountains where I came from with a bean string or a quilted. they said, that is just after my first child was born. Or between my first and second child. <laughs> but when they get together to Bridge Club now, they said, that was just after my first operation, you know. Oh, you yeah. have... You ever go to the hospital? I've been. Amen. That's the reason I'm so high up the social ladder, because I belong to the royal order of scar stomachs myself. I remember once when I went to the hospital, a little nurse came in and took some blood out of my ear, and another came in and took some out of my finger. That's they said they wanted to make a blood count. I thought one of sweetheart sweetheart needed a transfusion. I got so every time I saw one coming, I flopped my ears and wiggled my fingers. Pretty soon the doctors came in, long white robes and white caps, and looked like a delegation of the Ku Klux Klan calling on me. And, and when they, when the jury went out, I knew I was convicted. They said you'll have to be operated immediately. And they said, where is the pain? I said in the left side. I said that's funny. The pain ought to be in the right. We'll have to operate and see what's the matter. Let me show you something. And they wheeled me up into the operating room. The doctor said, now, don't get excited. I've operated 200 patients and never lost a one. I said, suppose you operate 201 and lose one of them. It's like right, the fellow was. hes so nervous, you know, and the doctor said, don't get excited. Now, don't be nervous. He said, doc, it's the first operation I've ever had. He said, well, it's the first one I've ever done. So the, you know, just don't get so in a hurry about it. But pretty soon the doctors came in like this. You ever see the doctors come in with a cloth around their mouth like that? To keep them breathing the germs into the incision? Well, they knew that in the Bible before the medics ever wised up to it. This is what the Bible says. He said, and this shall be the law of the leopard. He shall go down the street with a cloth on his upper lip. And if the wind blows, he cries unclean and passes to the other side. They knew there were germs, Amen. The Bible was a thousand years ahead of science. And then this little fellow said, Well, do you believe the miracles of the Bible? I said, I certainly do. He said, Do you believe Balaam's ass talked? I said, Yes. And when I hear some preachers preaching, I still believe it. Amen. The dumb ass still speaks. But let me tell you something. <clears throat> let me tell you something tonight. He said, You don't believe that, that Jonah and the whale business, do you? Do you believe the whale swallowed Jonah? I said, Who said it did? Said the Bible. The Bible said God prepared a great fish. Hebrew word dag. God prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah had a custom-built boat for that ride, my friend. And I believe the God who could make a fish, or the God who could make a man, could put the man in the fish and make him live if he wanted to. Amen. And I said to him, I said, listen, son, if you can create for yourself enough, a big enough esophagus to swallow all the unbelievable tommy rot that's being panned off under the head of science, don't you doubt the ability of an omnipotent God to make a fish big enough to swallow a man. And Jonah went down and got on board a boat. And he started out in the opposite direction. And God pursued him with storms. And then Jonah prayed and said, out of the belly of hell, cried I. Out of the belly of the hell cried I, Three days and three nights. You said that He said, well, the gastric juices would have digested him. I said, is that so? I don't think he's walling around any whales gastric juices. I think he's a rambling around trying to find the place he came in. And God tickled the old whale and they spit him up, F-O-B, free on bank. That's the first case of free mail delivery we have on record. Amen? God calls the old fish to swim out under and vomit him up on the dry land and Jonah went down the sea street of pulling the seaweeds from behind his ear and met a man coming with a fishing pole and he said, Well now, brother Jonah without fish for supper, except you no. I don't want any more fish. There's three fellows in the Bible got their appetite changed, Jonah never cared for fish after the whale ride. Peter never cared for chicken after the rooster crowed. The prodigal son never like pork chops after he got out of the pen. Let me tell you something today. I said, I can give you a bigger miracle than Jonah and the big fish right before your very eyes. He said, what? I said, spell it with three letters, J-E-W. Why? Jonah was cast, Jonah was cast overboard. Why? Because of his disobedience.
0: He had been commissioned
1: to Nineveh, overbo- and Was disobedient? was cast overboard. Israel was commissioned to show forth God's glory through all the nations, and was disobedient. Jonah was overthrown, and so God overthrew Israel, and they were swallowed up by the nations of the earth, sifted among the nations like corn is sifted from a seal. Then Jonah cried, The storms pursued him, and God pursued Israel. He said, Cursed be art thou in thy basket. God pursued them. And then Jonah cried unto God out of the belly of the fish, and in the days of Jacob's trouble, Israel will cry again for deliverance. And just as Jonah was delivered up from the fish, so the nations of this earth shall give back to Jew. Let me tell you something, the big miracle tonight is this. Not that Jonah was preserved in the belly of the fish, any other people on earth, without a flag, Without a country, without anything to hold them together nationally. Scattered among the nations have not become amalgamated, lost their identity, and soon were swallowed up, but not the Jew. He's never been, he's never been digested, never been digested. He's never lost his identity. If he's an American, American Jew, If in Russia he's a Russian Jew, Germany a German Jew, wherever he is, the eternal Jew. Why? Because God said, to the preserved of Israel. Just as he preserved Jonah, he preserved Israel. And just as Jonah was vomited up on the dry land and turned missionary, God said, I'll take them out from among the nations, whether they be gone, and I'll bring them into their own land. And one king shall be king unto them all, and they will turn missionary. And a nation shall be born in a day. That's what I'm telling you tonight. Yeah, this is the word of God. He said, well, you don't believe that story about the flood, do you? Yeah, I believe that. Amen. He said, do you believe about the ark? I said, yeah. He said, well, now, listen here. He said, how big was the ark? So I told him how long it was, how wide it was, how high it was. Then he laughed. And he said, now, you see how ridiculous? How would the priests ever carry that across the Jordan? do He's like you. didn't know his arks, did he? <laughs> he said, well, you, do you think two of everything got in the ark? I certainly do. He said, You think how much room two elephants will take up? I said, Yeah, and you think I'm in a fleas and bed bugs, get on two elephants, too. Did you ever stop thinking about that? You bring him around, the old man will look after him. Let me show you something, my friend to me. Yeah, I believe the story. He said, but it had only one window in it. That wasn't proper ventilation. Oh no. He said, A cubit, that shall I finish it above. Eighteen inches open all the way around the top. That was perfect ventilation. That is perfect ventilation. He said, but the rain would have blown in. I said, oh no, for the, rain, the wind didn't blow until after the rain ceased. Read your Bible, amen? amen. Knowing your Bible will unfit you for hearing a lot of preaching. Did you know that? And he said, you believe that? I see. "I do. I believe the miracles of the Bible. Then said, do you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? I said, yes. He said, well, he went to sleep. He was only a human because he went to sleep. He said he was only a human because he got hungry. He said he was only a human. He was only a human because he, because he wept tears. He said he was only a human because he died upon a cross. True. Down on the Sea of Galilee, he's upon a little boat. And then in the nighttime, the storm comes And the waves began to kick up their heels, and that of their boat was tossed like a cork upon the waves, and the heavens settled with Plutonian darkness, when out of the skies would run the jagged lightning like some fiendish grin from another world, and then go back and leave it closed and dark again. And the disciples came and shook him and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and walked out on the deck of the ship, looked up to the heaven, and said, Peace. Looked down to the waves and said, Be still. And with the right hand of deity, he ironed the wrinkles out of the water and drove those waves across the sea with their tails tucked between their legs like whipped puppies until they pulled their head on a distant shore. And they said, What manner of man is this that the winds and waves obey him? If he was a human when he went to sleep, he was God when he stilled the waves. If he was a human when he got hungry, he was God when he took a little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 people. If he was a human, if he was human when he wept, he was God when he raised Lazarus from the dead. If he was a human when he died upon the cross, he was declared to be the Son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. When he ripped open the grave and came out on the other side. I am he that liveth, that was dead, I'm alive, and behold, I'm alive forevermore.
0: Yeah, I believe. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the Word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the word and hearing the word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, The world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.